and black success. You're listening to Trailblazers.fm, an interview-styled podcast that delves deep into bold conversations with successful Black entrepreneurs and leaders. Join us to learn actionable strategies, valuable tactics, and innovative tools that you can put to use immediately on your journey to blazing your trail. And now, here's your host, my husband, Stephen A. Hart. Blaze Nation, in celebration of Women's History Month, I'm turning over hosting duties all month long to a dear friend and a past guest of the show, Jennifer Whittle. Jennifer is the CEO and founder of the Borland Group, a 20-year-old boutique public relations firm headquartered in New York City. Jennifer's agency specializes in women-led and minority-owned businesses, as well as grassroots nonprofits. Today, I'm sharing a conversation between Jennifer Witto and the Reverend Dr. Teresa Timms. They're talking about unicorns, as well as occupying spaces, being their true selves, and how they wrap all of it together. This is the first of a special four-part Women's History Month feature hosted by Jennifer Witto, and I do hope you enjoy. Stephen, thank you so much for that introduction. Now, I want to ask our listeners, are you a unicorn? Have you been called a unicorn? Unicorn is a popular term when there is an only or a few, and it often means, according to Wikipedia, a very rare find. And for many Blacks, including myself, we've been called that, so it's nothing new. And for many of us, we have been asked by our employers, where can we find more of you? Like we really are unicorns, like they have to go out into the wilds in the hopes of finding more of us. Well, today we're going to talk with the Reverend Dr. Teresa Tanz about unicorns, as well as occupying spaces, being our true selves, and how they all wrap into each other. But first, allow me to introduce this wonderful person who I am so honored to call a friend. Teresa S. Tom is the Associate Dean of Religious Life and the chapel at Princeton University. Teresa is a wife, transformation coach, challenging preacher, certified yoga teacher, dog mama, and devoted friend. She is a lover of life who prioritizes self-care and believes that radical joy is resistance. Welcome, Teresa. Thank you so much for having me, Jennifer. I'm excited to be here. Wow, it's wonderful having you here. And before we go into the questions, was I pronouncing your last name correctly? It's Tim's. I always get it wrong, but I get the first part right. So thanks yeah. for that correction. Anyway, before we dive into the heart of the conversation, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and do you consider yourself a unicorn? 
Well, I am from Biloxi, Mississippi, born and raised on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. And being from the deep South influences and informs my sense of self, how I move and orient myself in the world. I am a theologian, a writer, a pastor, a yoga teacher, all of these things wrapped up in my identity. I am an ordained United Methodist clergy person, and I'm also um, a 40-year-old Black woman that's navigating space and time throughout what it means for me to be from Mississippi, but to find my, my space and place now in Princeton, New Jersey. I do not consider myself a unicorn. I consider myself just to be an offshoot, an offspring of all of the amazing women who've come before me, and I've been able to walk in their shoes and to show up as myself in, in this space. Well, Mississippi to New Jersey, that's quite a journey, isn't it? It is. It is. I know that you've made it beautifully. Now, in our pre-call with Stephen, we were planning this segment. We discussed code switching and adapting oneself to the work environment in which we, including Blacks, other people of color, and those with non-traditional sexual identities, are in, and it led to the discussion of occupying spaces, which you spoke so eloquently about. When we talked about occupying spaces, you spoke about the role of invitation and hospitality. Can you tell us more, and for the audience, what you mean by this? Yes, for people of color, for those you have just identified, we often find ourselves as the one or only with some of the spaces that we are invited into. And those invitations sometimes can come from a place of tokenism, but most of the time those invitations come out of our own brilliance and all of the intelligence and experience that we bring. However, invitation does not always mean hospitality. Invitation does not always mean welcome. So what does it mean for us that when we receive an invitation to go in and fully show up to the space, to not only open the door, but to remove the door from the hinges. So how do I bring not only my story and my expertise, but how do I bring others to the table? How do I expand what it means of someone named Monica Dennis used the term being a liberated gatekeeper? Um, it is important for us to not just only come and be a guest, but especially when it is a job or an opportunity for us to settle in and to really occupy the space. The other thing I want to add, Jennifer, about space is that space has history. We have a spatial history and a spatial orientation to a space. So what does it mean for someone from the margin, someone that is not commonly centered, to then be in that space is that we have an opportunity to change the history, the trajectory of what will then happen in that space because we are there, because we are here. And it is important for us to fully and unapologetically show up to every space that we enter. Now, how do we go from the theoretical, which is showing up and being our fully authentic selves to the practical steps of being able to, to do that, to occupy the space in which we are showing who we are, what we are, without the filters of code switching? 
Great question. Every space that we enter has a culture. There's an organizational culture. There's a leadership culture. And sometimes your presence alone shifts that culture just a bit. And how do you bring your authentic voice, your narrative and your perspective? There's something missing from the conversation, even for the simple fact that you were not there. Someone who um, who didn't look like you before was not there. And so how do we do that is to be confident in who we are, to have a clear understanding of the gifts and the skills and the talents that we bring to each position. I like to say that um, it is great for us to be invited, but to know that you are worth being invited to any space that you're in. And so to come in and adding a nuance, adding um, a new person to the, to the exchange. A lot of times when we are in organizations or we enter into new spaces, we think that they've done us a favor. However, we are doing them a favor. We are actually bringing so much more than they could have ever imagined before. So that comes with confidence. That comes with honing in on your gifts and skills and also not apologizing for your journey. Your journey might not have been a linear journey to get there, but the ways in which you may have navigated to get to that place, it is all important to what it means for you to bring all of that experience. All, the mosaic is the word that I love to use. Um, a mosaic are these little pieces, but when you bring them together, make a beautiful, beautiful portrait. And a lot of times due to um, being on the margins or not having our story centered, we're ashamed of some of these pieces, but those pieces have really sharpened and enlivened who you are. And it's important. It is invaluable to bring that. You know, something that you said struck me and I was writing it down, um, worth being invited and confidence because it can be very overwhelming and intimidating, even for those of us who have a, a wellspring of confidence. And it goes into that old saying like, walk into a room like you own it and you know fake it till you make it but inside you're like ah. so you know can you give some examples of how you've been able to to go into those rooms and occupy those spaces absolutely the there's new research and a new and better language out right now that talks about Women, and especially women of color, we do not suffer from imposter syndrome. We suffer from being in spaces that gaslight us, that constantly question our all the things that we bring. And what does it mean for us to get very, very clear, very, very clear about our education? We have worked hard. We have struggled. We have put in the work. Um, as the younger people say, we have receipts to prove that no one has allowed us into any space, that we really have done that. And so um, when I come into, even when I came um, into the position that I'm in now, I did not come in with this bow down on um, my head down, sort of like, oh my goodness, thank you. But in this space of I had an expertise to bring, I also the strengthening of relationships and and being able to have conversations with people and learn how people see the position, how people even had expectations of me and being really, really clear about my role. It is not a one and done, Jennifer. It is an over and over again and sometimes multiple times a day reminding myself, reminding ourselves of who we are, the road that we've journeyed to get to where we are and to keep showing up, even on the toughest days, even when there are challenges, but to trust that we have everything that we need um, within ourselves and within the community that supports us. But doesn't that get exhausting at times? 
Exhausting. Absolutely exhausting. Um, it is the unfair work, the emotional labor that we don't get to talk about, that we are not um, that we're not compensated for. It is the paying attention to the limited mindsets that we may have or others may have of us. So it is exhausting. However, the more you get better at it, just like any muscle, the more you exercise it, then it takes less work and effort. You are able to find an ease in being. Mm-hmm. Ease in being. You're dropping so many perfect word bubbles that you know people can take away and hold on to. Uh, I know that I'm certainly am doing it. And every time we have a conversation, I go away learning so much more and and repeating what you say because you are so right in your words about pinpointing how we are feeling. Um, I'm going to ask you a, a multi-part question now. Um, when you were considered a unicorn, and I know that you said you've never felt that way or the only, there is a, an element of pressure to code switch and adapt because you are the only one or one of the few. And I have, you know, been called a unicorn. Like you, I don't feel like I'm a unicorn. I don't think there's anything particularly special about me, uh, but I have been called a, a unicorn. You know, how can we be ourselves and still be accepted by a workforce where leadership in corporate America and academia is still primarily white? Mm. Yeah, it is a most what I saw over the last two years is this real tension point of the elevation of black and brown women, the elevation of black and brown women within systems and organizations where the culture was predominantly older cisgender white males who there is a structure of this is the way it's supposed to go and you should assimilate to be in this role. And that type of pressure is it takes away any leadership creativity that you may have. It takes away your ability to take risk or to engage in imagination around the organization because there's so much pressure to assimilate, to get it right. You can't get this wrong. You are the first and the only. And so in our professional world, it's important to find mentors. And our mentors may not look like us. Our mentors may be people who are unexpected, but that comes through relationship building. Also finding key stakeholders. Who are the people who will champion for you before you get in the room? Who are the people who are able to be in partnership with you? That takes some time. However, in professional worlds, um, to think that the the, the the work is on our shoulders alone to change an entire culture of an organization. That is work that is beyond us that we're just not able to do alone. And so not to work in silos, but to really do the work of building relationship and find those who can champion for you. Applause, applause. And I love when you say that the mentor doesn't have to look like you. Because I have to say in my career, and I've been working now 30 plus years, the the people who have been actively supporting me and promoting me, they have been other women, you know, check, um, but they've all been white women. And that, you know, may come as a surprise to others. But I can tell you that the people professionally who have assisted me, supported me, and given me advice have been white women. So we shouldn't automatically or subconsciously go to another who looks like us. And I'm not negating that at all. But what you just said about going outside that bubble and connecting with someone authentically 
who is really committed to your success. And I have to underscore that because I've always said that nobody will care more than you, than you, than you should build that relationship with. Absolutely. Another thing too, Jennifer, that it's important for me to name is that in a lot of these organizations, people who do look like us are usually in assistant roles or in help roles, Mm -hmm. but those people often hold so much history. They know the culture, they know the people. And so I know we like to network horizontally or to move up, but what does it mean for us to really think about everyone that we're in partnership with in an organization and how we can also build and provide um, access to? Access does not just come from someone else opening up a door, but for us being in relationship with people across the board. And so um, there are people who hold institutional memories and they are literally the keepers of the books. And a lot of times those people do look like us. Mm-hmm. Institutional memory. Yeah, there's there's a lot of value in that. And I have another uh, multi-part question for you. Now, you have said that radical joy is resistance. Uh, first of all, tell us what you mean by radical joy. Oh, when you when you say it makes my it just makes my heart smile. Um, I grew up in the Black Baptist Church in Mississippi, and there's a song that they would sing that says this joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me and the world can't take it away. It is that type of joy, this joy that's not dependent on the raise or the person liking me or the new outfit or any type of external accolades, but this joy in knowing that I am fearfully and wonderfully made, this joy that knowing that today I am enough. And so that type of joy has to be cultivated. It has to be nurtured and doing that work. um, It is so important for me to cultivate and be intentional about my personal life just as I am intentional about my professional life, to nurture my personal relationships even more so than my professional relationships because that is the joy in my life. Those relationships in that place gives me so much joy. You know, you mentioned the word intentional, and I think that word, I think that the new color is like a sage. I'm going to replace the new color with the new word, which is intentional, because so many people have been using it since the beginning of this year and how you brought it into the conversation. I think that we all need to be purposefully intentional. Yeah, that type of the place that even going back to your um, previous question around authenticity and showing up, it really is intentional. It does not happen by mistake. It is this intentional paying attention, like being strategic about my personal development, being strategic about the relationships that nurture me, being strategic about my vacation time and my rest and my physical, bodily health, and my mental health, the amount of stress that Black and brown women are carrying. Yes. We, are, we carry stress for not just our families, but extended, our, you know, our idea of family is broad. So even extended family, we are taking care of our children, other people's children. And so what does it mean for us to um, selfish, selfishly um, have bumpers and boundaries around how we show up for ourselves. Um, I say that we don't win unless we are well. Uh We do not win unless we are well. And wellness is so important to me. But don't you find that sometimes wellness with Black women and any woman that we put wellness to the back of the line, that we focus on others, and I think that we should be selfish 
not in the negative sense of the word, but in the positive uh, sense of the word in that we need to focus on self in order to help those around us and to get to that um, radical joy, so to speak. Absolutely. And it's historical, Jennifer, that we live in a society, we live in a place where Black women are prized for what we do for others. We are the caretakers. We are supposed to show up and save and do and overextend ourselves. So to counter that narrative is countercultural. To have real ideas around your wellness is so very different from what people think that we should do. And so I like to say I, I am... I am a kind and available person, but I do not make myself overly available at the expense of my health and well-being. And that is something that I have to be mindful of every single day. We have to learn how to say no and mean it. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and a no to something else is a yes to myself. A no to overcommitting is a yes to my joy, a yes to my fulfillment, a yes to my clarity. And the more joy and fulfillment and clarity I have, the better I am to you and to everyone else. And I wanted to, to circle back to the origin of this question, which was radical joy is resistance. Now, what role do you think um, it can play in being yourself and being fully accepted without the possibility of hindering your career, which is something that many of us are concerned about? Yeah. You know, the last two years have been hard. Yeah. Um, the way that we are living in multiple pandemics at the same time, it is overwhelming. It has been emotionally a toll to to see the world, all the ways that it's confronting us, and then to go into a professional space. And so this the having the clarity around radical joy, this radical joy and this commitment to care and radical joy is resistance is that there are so many ways that I could be taken out by all that's happening around me. But this grounding in my joy, this grounding in my care actually makes me a better professional. It actually makes me have better health so that when I am present to my work, I am fully present to my work, that I'm able to have imagination and creativity. And that requires sleep. Those who sleep better, work better. Those who have healthier bodies as far as whatever, whatever health is for your body, you are better able to show up. But a lot of times we are coming to work sick, physically sick, emotionally unwell and stressed beyond our limits. And we wonder why we can only do the bare minimum. It's because we just don't have the capacity to hold it all. You know, I can see in the chat box, the amens and preach. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you invite a preacher, you get a sermon. So, <laughs> and how lucky we are. <laughs> and we have spoken about so much in such a short amount of time from being called a unicorn, not being considered a unicorn and radical joy and so much more. So is there anything that we didn't touch upon that you would like to bring out right now? You know, this is such an auspicious time um, to be a woman, to be a black woman. What a, what a time to be alive in so yeah. many ways. What a time to be alive. And if there's one thing that I want to say over and over and over again is that we don't have to do this alone. Surround yourself with a team of amazing women 
to help champion you, a team of people to champion you. A lot of times we feel that we have to isolate or that there's something that we have to get it right first. No, find a mentor, some peers, some people who will help you, carry you and lift you. And that is our power. Our power is being together in community and iron sharpens iron. And I have been sharpened by the women and the other people who are in my life. But I always say, especially the women folk who are in my life, they make me better. And it is a gift. Friendship, especially what I call the girlfriend network. There's <laughs> nothing like it, nothing like it at all. And I would like to wind down this portion of our talk by the, the, the major girlfriend by reading this passage from a Vox article that discusses, discusses um, Michelle Obama and code switching and quote, Michelle Obama found a path where she did not rely on code switching, but simply considered being herself. Quote, I like me. I like my story and all the bumps and bruises she recently told Oprah Winfrey in an interview for Elle magazine. That's what makes me uniquely me. End quote. And I think it's a fitting way to end this portion of the talk where we talk about being purposely intentional purposely putting ourselves first, purposely being selfish. And so that's what I want all of our listeners to do is to go out after this conversation and feel that they can do what they need to do in order to emerge a better, stronger and fitter self, whether it's in your professional life or your personal life. Now, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you the following three questions, um, and it's going to be for all of our guests uh, during this special month. And you are the very first. So are you ready for these three questions? I'm ready. Hey, I wish I had a drum roll. So speaking of self-care, what do you do for self-care? Ah, I could go on and on. Um, I'm an avid Peloton rider. I ride my Peloton every single day. Um, I walk about two to three miles every single day. I drink a gallon of water and I go Ooh. to bed. I go to bed around 8 30, 9 o'clock, and I'm up at 4 30. And so those 4:30? are 4 30. Yes, I'm up at 4 30. <laughs> okay. So those are standards. Peloton. Peloton, walking, water, and sleep. What's your Peloton handle? Um, Beauty Yaya. <laughs> that is perfect. Okay, the next question. There is a lot. You said we're in these past two years, we've had COVID. <sighs> Social justice issues. Uh, the great resignation, mental wellness. There's just so much going on. And it, a lot of it is negative. And what I want to do is to pull the rose from the thorns. Mm. Where do you see hope in the world today? Oh, you know, Jennifer, I have the great joy of being around young people all the time. And in them, I see so much hope. I'm around these university students who are thought leaders and the way that they are thinking differently, the way that they are challenging tradition, the, and some of it we're like, Ugh. but the way that they are forcing us to 
look at the world through different ways. They give me so much hope. And the last thing I'll put in there really quick, um, as a pastor, um, seeing little kids back in church and worship spaces again, is just a space of, I, we have to leave this world better for them. And so just in these young people, it's like, the, the kids are all right. The kids are going to be all right. <laughs> I agree with you. The kids are going to be more than all right. They're a lot stronger than we think they are. And yes. the last question, name the three Black women who you admire and tell us why. This almost brings me to tears. Um, the one Black woman that I think about all the time who is no longer with us but is an ancestor is Fannie Lou Hamer. And I think about Fannie Lou Hamer all the time because one, yes. she's from the great state of Mississippi, but two, how she unapologetically with her voice, with her body, like walked the, the just the audacity and just drive of we are going to be free and registering people to vote. And so I think about Fannie Lou Hamer, I think about Stacey Abrams and just this way of the way that they've used their faith and their voice and their physical bodies to change the trajectory of this nation and what it means for us to be politically involved. And so I, I did two in the price of one there, but there's this other, um, you said three. I, I just think about, um, I think a lot about black mothers and those who are raising children. And so I won't even put like a name, but just those who are doing this hard work of raising black and brown children in this world that can be so anti-black for our children. And I think about the mothers who, who are working jobs, virtually teaching, cooking food, partnered or unpartnered, whatever their situations are, but the way that um, they, they face criticism, they face these typecasting, and they just keep showing up to that work. And so um, whenever I, I pass a mother of color, whenever I pass a mother, I whisper a prayer of grace and patience and that just support will come and flood her. And so those are my three, Fannie Lou Hamer, Stacey Abrams, and the mamas, the, the black and brown mamas that's, that's bringing up this next generation. Oh, they are all wonderful, wonderful women. And thank you so much, Teresa. And for our viewers, we have links in the chat box where you can learn more about the Reverend Dr. Timms. And I strongly encourage you to connect with her because you just saw a little bit of Teresa. When you get to know her, you just want to say, just like I do every single time I talk to her. So thank you for taking time to watch this episode and be sure to tune in next week for another wonderful discussion during this special Women's History Month series. Have a great day. I'm Jennifer Witter. Hi, I'm Layla. If you enjoyed today's episode, feel free to hop over to IamBlackSuccess.com to access the show notes and transcript. You can also sign up for our newsletter there to ensure you don't miss any of our future content. We also have a favor to ask. It would help us a lot if you could take a moment and leave us a review for the podcast. Even just one sentence would really help and support the work we're doing and help get the show in front of more Black entrepreneurs and leaders. Thanks for spending time with us today. Now go get that positive mindset with an intent to rise above, go way beyond, keep blazing your trail. 
I am Black Success.